0: He aha, te kai o te rangatira, he korero, he korero, he korero. Mai, mai, Welcome to this podcast, drawn from a series of talks shared in Onihanga in early June 2021. As part of the Auckland Libraries and Connected Communities, we read Auckland series. On the theme Te Hura i te Tamaki Makaurau, Uncover Auckland, we share a new perspectives and voices on Auckland's past, present and future with Kai Sovereignty advocates, local historians, authors, artists and sustainability champions. Kai binds us to whenua, to tipuna and to each other. The theme of the first panel was Food Sovereignty. Hosted by Tara Moala, the panel includes Philippa Holmes from the Good Whale and Kai Collective Project, Amiria Puya Taylor, co-founder of 312 Hub Onihanga, a not-for-profit youth arts organisation and Onihanga Bites youth-led catering, and Chloe Fong, who is a digital user experience designer running the food distribution service This Local Piggy. Oh,
1: kia ora koutou, katoa. Uh, so just a little bit more about myself. My name is Tara Mawala. I am uh, under the Rākau Total Core Collective, uh, which works alongside communities uh, to help build and empower them. And one of our projects is the Aotearoa Kai Journey, and uh, we work very closely with um, the last person on our panel, Philippa Holmes, and the good palae to do that work, and she'll be able to explain all about that. <laughs> so my focus on today is to just um, run the panel and ask some questions really awesome questions, and um, get some information from these guys. So um, let's kick off, and let's start with a little bit of an introduction. So let's start with you, Chloe. Um.
2: Yeah, so um, my name's Chloe, um, and I've just founded a really early-stage startup called This Local Piggy, and This Local Piggy is a way for people in the community to support local butchers, bakeries, veggie shops, and any speciality shops in one on one website and get it all in one delivery. So the initial um, research that I did found that people do really want to support local, but it just takes time to look for parking, go to different shops. And as people become more time poor, it's harder for busy nine to five people to be able to do that. And it's easy to drive to a major supermarket and just buy it all in one go and go home. So... Yeah, and I my personal story is I've always loved food. I grew up in Hong Kong, um, and then I moved to the UK, which hence the accent, um, and then I moved here two and a half years ago. So, um, yeah, food is a huge part of my life. I remember after school, when I was in primary school, going to the markets, being best friends with the, like, veggie grandmother, and she kind of watched me grow up as a young child and then going into... Like exams and stuff, and just that relationship that we had, um, and how food can connect through people Mm. is um, what. And my before I started, I was the um, I worked in software, so um, Mm. and yeah, so a lot of the skills from the tech world can be brought into a digital platform to help like smaller businesses sort of reach bigger audiences. So
3: (laughs) yeah, maybe Chloe. Media. Uh, kia ora, uh, ngamihi kia a kouta katoa, kiu te whakapari mai ite tenei wahi, i tenei rā whakahirahira. Um, so, kia my name is Miria Pue Taylor, uh, ure tenei o tenei wahi, uh, ko Ngāti Tiatawai o hua, Ngāti Tipa, uh, Ngāti Hamoa, Ngāti Kuki Arani, Ngāti Tahiti. Um, today I'm wearing my 312 Hub hat, um, among many, but Wearing the, the hat as the founder and um, the China slide-out director of the 312 Hub, which is a youth arts space base based here in Unihonga, um just opposite Dressmart. Um, our kaupapa is all about arts activation, arts education and arts hustle. Uh, we're less than four years old, I think. And our kaupapa is centred around rangatahi, tūrangatira, young people being the leaders exactly with the same mana of our kuia and kaumatua. There's this... Fakatoki or saying that we have that helps us to stay connected to who we are. tuakana te Um those who are young are just as great as the elders mm. and those who are the elders are just as great as the young people. Mm. And so there's this interconnection between young and old. And I'm really grateful that we've used art and culture as a way to build um, a presence for ourselves. So outside, when you walk through these doors, you'll have seen some bright yellow, um, orange high Those are um, three generations of hapababas and activators, and our leads all um, trying to celebrate what it means to be here in this community um, of Wanihunga and um I guess specifically, the invitation of me being here today was looking at our project, which was last year, COVID hit. Mm. Um, Every time things happen, we do what we do. We don't have plans. We don't write an email. We just get out and do it. So we did a social media call out and called on this community. And we received over $8,000 worth of parcels of kai. Um, some of them we still have no idea who, who sent that kai and what we did was all the kai delivery got sent in um, to the hub and we were able to package it and send it out to our young people um, and their no, and um, that support continued and so we're really grateful for the kai collective, um, Unihunga Embracing Families and a lot of different um, Kopapa in this area who helped us keep our kids fed throughout those, those tough times. It's now kind of grown, too. So, um, yeah, that's the invitation of what I think I should be talking about, um, but a bit more about myself. Um, born and raised between Waiuku and Port Waikato and Greyland and Ponsonby. Uh, Onihonga is literally the middle of my universe. And um, as I owe to my queer Dame Nanako Minhanek, she told me to come over here. And I was like, why? <laughs> why? Why here? Yeah. It's a bit home. It's a bit too far for a home. And um, I've been here for a good seven years now, um, on and off. And I can't even afford to live here, just to be real. Um, but the reality for me is that there's a calling of um, my fano sending him me here to help the community here reconnect and re understand the relationship to the taiao, to our Manuka o te Manuka o our food bowl, and to Onehunga being the original countdown to our people. So um, yeah, I think I'm passionate about the importance of Kai being the number one way to consult with people. Um, don't show up empty-handed with no food if you want to connect with people for real. Um, and then what that kai does for a young person when they're able to do more with a full puku. Um, they can achieve more. They can retain information more. They can learn and succeed more. Um, and then to me, that just makes the future and the potential kind of on recur and it benefits us as... The puckiki.
1: And we'll get you to share a little bit more about Anohingo Bites as well at some yeah. point through this quarter. Cool. Talo Vallava,
4: good morning. So hard following such eloquent <laughs> <laughs> intros. I'm like who am I what do I do um, my name is Philippa Holmes I am one of the co-founders of a social impact called the good faller the good faller is a um, social enterprise that is a social impact and innovation house um, we're really focused on systems um, what happens at the grassroots and how can we have a more social um, a world that everyone has social justice and social equity and uh, that's kind of broadly um, what we're looking at, but we've been really focused in the food space. Uh, really, because of COVID, it pulled us right back in. So, like Amitya said, COVID hit in lots of our communities. A lot of the resources they were going to, or the shops, or the services that were serving them shut down, and there was a real need to work together um, and each bring gifts and experiences. So uh, Tara and myself um, had a particular skill around being able to bring a key and unlock some doors. And then our community had the skill of being able to see exactly what those needs were and delivering that out to the communities. So to, we formed the Kai Collective Project, which has 11 um, local groups and leaders in Mangaki Tamaki, and they were going, I mean, sometimes they were going, you know, an hour drive to get to some whānau who were originally connected here but had moved out. And that work really showed us that um, often people say our food system's broken, Um I like to believe it's, well, I don't like to believe, I wish it wasn't, but I think it's working exactly as it was designed to be. Mm-hmm. And so um, I have a core belief that systems are just stories we all tell ourselves, and if we can tell a better story, we can make a better system. So uh, that led us to creating the outer Kai journey, which is five initiatives that we believe will be able to be a little bit of a... Um, kick down some doors to make some better systems in different ways. So we work on research and publishing in the academic space. We're working on a, a closed-loop social enterprise around food waste, our kai collective project, um, the East Kai Co-op, which is in development, and our most um, – well, they're all exciting. That, uh, our project that is at its most exciting level right now is the Aotearo kai journey, um, which we will uh, is a tech piece. Um, it's a platform that uses technology as a lever for change to be a repository of CHI information, what's happening in the spaces, and the aim to really tool up stakeholders and practitioners who are meant to be or mandated or have resources to redesign the food system and to give them the right information to be doing that. So we have seen lots of people talk about top-up and bottom-down, but we know that the magic happens in the weave, and so we hope that that platform can um, be some magic in the weave.
1: Kia ora. Awesome. So now that we know a little bit more about these guys, let's get into the topic, which is food sovereignty. And so let's think about what that means. What is that actually, what are we actually talking about when we're talking about food sovereignty? So for you guys, what does that mean? You want to start, Amelia? With my heart, I say land back. <laughs>
3: um, and when I explain what that means, food sovereignty to me is every single person who stays in Aotearoa can have the rights and the ability to grow their own kai and put that on their table. And most of us can't do that. So, yeah, in a nutshell, food sovereignty is just having that freedom to know what you're allowed to grow and grow it and being able to harvest the kai that you need and then to take what you need and to hand it over to your mate next door who doesn't have that kai. So, yeah, we're not there yet, but I can see it on the horizon.
1: Mm. Mm. Beautiful. Philippa, anything to add?
4: Yeah, I think Kai Sovereignty, um, for me, has been... uh, You know, we've really looked globally at this right now and in Aotearoa, and it comes down to two things. It's for everyone to have the right to Kai, but it's about affordability and access Mm. so that everyone is able to afford access to the food that they um, deem culturally um, or nutritionally they need and is appropriate, and access is that they can access kai in what is a meaningful way to them, whether that's by um, hunting, gathering and fishing and living off the land or planting their berms or whether that's um, through going to shops. Um, And that, you know, I mean, we... I think where I look, what Kai Sovereignty doesn't look like is in our communities where we see there are, there's food apartheid, where people can't access the food that they should be able to access or they can't access local growers. So, yeah, affordability and access.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Awesome. Chloe? Yeah for, yeah, for me, I think um, <coughs> food sovereignty is about um, the stories and the the stories behind how food gets to your plate. So from growers to retailers to distributors to people that transport your food um, and all of those hands that touch and the respect for all of the people and even all the way down to the eaters and the people cooking the food Mm. Um, and understanding that there is a story behind every person. Why did they go away and do that? How did it get there? And having each, like having the, the people that actually work on the food, the people eating the food, determine the system, so rather than a corporate saying what's hot, what's not, what what price people should be paying, what price farmers should be selling at, what price it should be retailing at, just having a m- more democratised way. Um, yeah. So. Mm. Mm. If we were to put an
1: Aotearoa lens on that now, as opposed to other places in uh, the, the whole world, um, what's unique, what's different for Aotearoa, what's great about it what's not great about it anyone want to jump in
4: I, I heard a really interesting fact yesterday which kind of took me back a little bit um, and it's that 95% of our kai is exported offshore so 5% of it we keep here which means that we can figure out affordability and access because we have the resources We, I lo- I, I, say that what we don't have is enough innovation and courage and humanity in the system to currently allow that to happen But then we also talk about things like... We talk about export quality. Mm. And why do we talk about export quality and not homegrown quality? And it's because we're often not... I think a lot of people are like, well, that's not the stuff we're getting at home. We're not getting this beautiful export. They don't have that access. And that's... I mean, that's some of the stuff that's not working. Our domestic story is very different to this global story we're selling. And I think... There needs to be a, some work around that to not see that happen. Yeah. Um, but we also need to be, um, you know, people have lost the right to really have a say in their food system, whether it is planting your berm or what that, co- you know, big capitalists are doing. I mean, 10, 10 companies own 95% of our food. Mm. And there's, you know, how do we start? It, we need those systems. I'm not saying it's an either or, but it's not a very balanced and-and.
1: mm Yeah. Is there anything that excites you in media about Aotearoa context or food sovereignty? There's definitely a switch
3: going on right now. There's a a real strong resurgence of mana motuhake, people feeling a lot more confident in themselves, their identity and their whakapapa, to be able to tap back into their knowledge systems. And I think when they start to understand who... The individuals, when they start to learn, I'm thinking about the home, the people at home, when they really start to think about who they are, you can see that once they know who they are, they're starting to return home to their papakainga and to their wāhi. And I love that because um, I know that's not the situation for a lot of those from the urban Māori Drift or from those that have experienced diaspora. but. To me, I'm excited that Papa is now a lens that yeah. is taken seriously. Yes. And in the last 15 years, um, some of the, the, the desires that my old people used to have are now a thing I can see today. Mm-hmm. So that gives me um, some hope. Mm-hmm. And also to our, our whanau, tau iwi, um, those who have travelled from afar to be here in Aotearoa, to respect that I can see people trying yeah. to learn the real, to... Share what they have. Um, don't get me wrong; we need to do more. Yeah. But I'm grateful that here in Aotearoa, there is a, a community trying. Um, that's what's giving me a bit of hope and excitement at the moment. Mm. Uh, Whakaka kiki, yeah.
1: Mm, beautiful, awesome. So, if we were to make a difference. Like if we were to, the whanau that are here today for an individual, the plates on their tables right now, if they were to make a difference, what could that be?
2: I think it's just speaking to people when you, and being more curious about where your food comes from, how does it, how did it get there? And going to speak to people and be like, hey, how, how did this, where was, where was the farm? Who farmed it? And just knowing what's behind Rather than just going to the fridge and being like, oh, I need a banana, okay, it's a banana, put it in my mouth, done. (laughs) Where did that banana come from? And actually look through where it's transported and speak to, if you go to a butcher or if you go to a veggie shop, speak to the people. Because they have so much knowledge and they know, like, for example, um, right now what's in season and actually looking at how nature works with food, um, when I started on this journey, I found out that meat has seasons. We've been so brainwashed to think that meat's always there. It's just it's just whether or not I want to eat chicken now or tomorrow. But actually, there is milk has seasons. So it's down to like, how cows and the grass quality and if the mm-hmm. grass is pollinating, if, it's, if there's frost, if it's too dry, it affects the fat content in milk. And... Um, at the moment, the fat content in big industrialized ways are taken out of the milk, stored when there's a high fat content and put back into the milk when there is a low mm. fat content. So just so that a consumer can go and buy the same thing at all times of year. But actually, there's, there's a whole lot of forces in nature that actually move towards what, like what's there. And there's also a whole lot of people that work very hard to work with communities. Um,
1: so <clears throat> so thislittlepiggy.com, how does that help um, whānau like us um, access that and, and change what's on our plate?
2: So I guess one of, the, um, one of the things that's quite important on Local Piggy is that we portray the seller story at the bottom of every product. So if you click on, um, let's say, some sunflower shoots. It shows the story of one of our amazing sellers, um, Morningside Urban Market Garden. They have some beds on the side of Eden Park and they have a program that um, um, help refugee and migrant women learn about the soils of New Zealand and how that grows and growing themselves um, in an organic way. So just... Like looking Rather than, oh, this is what I put on my salad, looking behind that and looking at all the stories and all the hands that have gone into your food.
1: Okay. Awesome. So if we were to take... So that's kind of like the
2: individual level.
1: And then if we were to take that to a community level, how do we... And you've you've managed to... Or you're working on doing that, Chloe, but how how are other ways that we can do that for us to take it from just an individual level to a community difference? What do you think, Philippa? some of the biggest challenges that
4: our food system is facing is the way that we are treating our water and the way that we... And the, the biggest thing in New Zealand and worldwide is soil degradation. Mm. So I think there's other things we can do as well on a community level that have a really wide kind of impact to what's happening, like just being really mindful um, about where our food's coming from and the impact. Because at the moment, there's no, there's, there are some markers, like we've got organic... Um, things that people will often look for but they'll also look for carbon markers um, around food but that's actually not the only measure like so there's a story about dairy being really bad for the planet and dairy practice badly is not okay, but a farm, high farming, um, industrial farming in the US with milk versus New Zealand regenerative practices in some farms is very different. Mm. So really having a look at the stories on a community level and start pushing for some of this change. I mean, Mm. almond milk has a horrific um, water content level. And so as a community, I think it's about really starting to look at the stories and thinking, well, what are my values and where does that align with where I'm either supporting for other people to have food sovereignty because not all people are doing it in the same way Mm -hmm. um all people helping and then in what ways am I doing it in my home and also helping push for consumer or community change and that might be about um you know asking council to make sure we can plant our berms or it might be asking um, a really big multinational to change their ways. But the more voices we keep adding to that, I hope the more that they can see that this is the only way that we
1: can move forward. Or even just, like, not asking for permission, right? Like, Amelia, I yeah, that's what... I mean, some of the things that we've done at 312, A eh, has been about that, just, like, not asking and just getting... The up, whole time. It. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so tell us about um, what impact... I mean, COVID... Um the lockdowns specifically, um, impact has impacted all of us. And so tell us how um for you shared a little bit, but for um for the young people in the final of three one two hub, how did that impact food sovereignty for you guys? Tell us more about that and how did you come to doing that response, which wasn't by the book, eh? Like you did us did it because the need was there. Um, I think I guess where
3: I sit I'm, I'm stuck in between two worlds. Yeah. I, I have been through the, the institution. I know what's right and what's wrong by the book. But if I keep the book closed and hide it, um, at least people got fed in, in our circumstances. Um, we almost lost our building mm. and lost our kaupapa because of the risk we took. Um, so for context, if you can remember, there was a bit of a rain um, before the lockdown the first lockdown happened, I didn't sleep well that night and we have a beautiful two-level building and we had 15 airbeds from all of our wānanga and my heart said, okay, I'm probably going to lose everything for this but we should be able to at least um, house some of our mamas. Mm -hmm. Um, We put a call out and I couldn't get over the amount of people that responded. I think that was the most heartbreaking thing. is that we're a not-for-profit, like super broke not-for-profit who don't have much money but we have so much heart. And I was really shocked in our society that despite how many of our um, not-for-profits out there that are serviced and and funded (laughs) to house our families and our mothers... Um, I was shocked To We had 17 mothers who were in all cert- different circumstances. And the one issue that they didn't ha- have was um, they couldn't stay somewhere because of the far the, the, the no front. Mm. And so I think everything from a professional level goes out the door. Mm. And everything from a, I'm a young woman, I've been in a circumstance close to that and I'm just going to move, mm-hmm. and I'm grateful we did that, mm-hmm. because we've been able to really tap into see what some of the circumstances are now, and we haven't achieved everything, and I'm really grateful to all of our um, community organisations, we did a number of call-outs via social media to ask for help, we knew we couldn't do it all, we said we could do these things for young people, but for our babies, our mothers, some of the health and safety issues that we had, we managed to actually overcome it. So today, every issue that we couldn't deal with, we've dealt with now, Mm. right down to our last young person who wasn't in a safe environment. Mm. Um, That's 27 young people from this community between the ages of 15 and 24 Mm. that were disconnected. I know a few parcels every two weeks that's, it's not even about that mm. it was the fact that there were issues COVID exposed the drama it mm. exposed the issues it exposed the trauma that our families on the grassroots level are still experiencing even today but now they know who's out there because of all of our community organisations getting together and books aside we dealt with it without the institution Yeah. which is, that tells me that we all got hearts mm-hmm. and I'm, I'm really grateful for that because it's moved us in a whole new um, ball game mm-hmm. of how we can service and look after our young people but we can't look after the young person without acknowledging the whole whānau. Yeah. and that's the truth of it and I think that's what our unique perspective is. Yeah. Um, yeah. But we don't know what we're doing, we just follow our hearts we we'll just go with it,
1: and it works. <laughs> Beautiful. And I think that kind of goes back to the interweaving that we've been talking about yeah. as well, isn't it? Like, there's so much interweaving of kai with all the other needs that we have for our whānau and everything else that happens. So um, does that happen with um, the kai collective as well, Philippa? And how does that, how does that impact the kai and everything that's, that happens in that space?
4: Yeah, I think one, one thing that we've really learnt over the last year around food and people, that people either had access to it or they didn't. And that there were people who have access to it who have issues with what they are accessing or how they were accessing it. But on the where people didn't have access to it, food was, like, one issue. But if you ask them what the issues were, it was one of, like, five. And what we learned is, like, if, I mean, if you alleviate the price of housing... people can afford food. If we start addressing um, health and all these other things, food choices become easier as well. And, I mean, one thing we've learnt in the Kai Collective project is, so we've done 80 tonnes of food in the last year that would either have... uh, Some of that was purchased. I think 60% came through either rescued or recovered. Uh, Rescue, recovered, or big private donations from large... um, businesses in New Zealand who donate to a New Zealand Food Network pipeline and then we got it in through there and so it was really interesting to see the food that was coming out of those spaces mm. the food we're probably overproducing in New Zealand as well like I still don't understand why we produce so much bread mm. like it's the amount of bread from everyone's like oh I've got so, I can we can we can deliver like five truckloads of bread to you and I'm like i And We don't need five truckloads of bread. And so the overproduction of some food, um, and yet in some of those same communities, people can't access them by buying them, but then we're like putting them into landfill, um, which actually bread is one of the biggest problems in landfill worldwide, because of how it rots down. And so, you know, it was just constantly being interested, like, yes, we did 80 tons of food, Yes, it was amazing for families. Was it still? Did it still always equal a balanced meal? No, it was a contribution towards their stuff, but still looking at all those other things that families had an issue with. Mm. Yeah. And so, what really, what really is top of mind for me is just always how grateful everyone is. Like, there's this, there's this interesting corridor that happens with people. Like, well, why is anyone hungry in this country? And I'm like, if we could just take that effort of um, scrutiny and put it right across the food system, we would answer those questions and we would solve some of those problems. But um, yeah, a lot of the time, like Amiri was saying, the food parcel for a lot of our leaders was a way to get back into families, not coming empty handed and to be able to deal with with other things. And what I learned through that is, like, how do you make it so that people can thrive? Yeah. So it's this really interesting way that people are like, oh, plant a garden, they should go do, the, like, the hard yards and, you know, whether it works or not, you know, they'll learn. And I'm like, but can't we just, you know, and this is for all people, can't we figure out a way we can set systems up so it makes it that people thrive? Because when you when it works, you're like, that's amazing. I'm going to keep doing that. Yeah. And we, this idea around Kai Sovereignty what happens on a local level and the way we kind of scrutinise whether we're helping too much or re-enabling. When I'm sitting in larger food system conversations with big companies or government, no one's like, well, we should make it a little bit hard for them. They should have to work for that. They're like, how can we make this as easy and seamless as possible? Mm. So I think there's this really interesting way of like looking at that for communities and for families mm. across all aspects of food. Like, mm. well, actually, how do we set up a thriving, prosperous system and little steps or big steps so we can be like, that was a good time, Mm. I'm going to do that again. Mm. And we need, I mean, what we're seeing in the Kai Collective and what we're seeing for those most vulnerable and right across the food systems is we need long-term, 500-year goals, not these short-term plans that get picked up in communities and then it starts and stops and people get like, well, we planted that garden and then, well you guys stop supporting it, or you know whoever you guys are. I think we need really long-term goals that allow people to really deepen into what Kai Sovereignty is. Mm-hmm. And for some Fano, that journey might take a generation or two. And for, for other families, it won't. It'll just be like something that tops them and their families up and enables them to connect into community. Because yeah. actually, that's one point I want to raise. When we do food right and we make it more equitable we change the narrative we have about those who do and don't have food and why. And I think when we start changing those stories, it starts changing the way that we talk about people who are most vulnerable to the inequity of the food system, which has prior to COVID been Māori, women and Pacifica, and post-COVID that was exacerbated um, up to what a guesstimate was that one in every five Kiwis would be food insecure,
1: or possibly have food insecurity. So changing the subject a little bit um, into innovation. So all of you are obviously entrepreneurs in your own um, spaces, and your own, what you're doing. Um, and I'm wondering if you got aha moments. You got learnings along the way and then you had an aha moment. And often our goals are created by that aha moment. So tell us, Chloe, let's start with you. Let's tell us about your aha moment for your one.
2: I think my aha moment is, when I was working with the sellers to get their stories, is how much they cared about the community and how much they have their ears to the ground. Like, some sellers, like from the veggie shop, um, Tin, he wakes up at half four in the morning to go to different markets to buy the vegetables. He goes like four or five. He runs his shop till half past six, shuts the shop, and then spends time with his family after, and then rinse and repeat. It starts again. But, like, they, they work so hard, but they also are so hungry for, like, what's changing, what's needed. So, mm. and another thing is, like, I work with Graylin Butchers, and she started 15 years ago. And talking to her, she was like, Graylin was a different place 15 years ago. And she listened to the community. She listened to the change as people moved in and out and how that has changed. And she then changed her... Um, Products, how she was talking to people, her relationships, and actually her stock. And there's a there's so much specialist knowledge, not just in where your food is, but what is the community and tapping into what you would not normally think as like community leaders or anything, but just listening and sitting down and gathering all of that together, um, and actually seeing change over time, seeing trends who who wants what, and understanding the community through like different sources was quite an aha moment for me. Mm-hmm. Awesome. Kia
3: My aha moment is actually, I want to do something. I want everyone to repeat after me, okay? Just so we can all have that aha moment. Mana. 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 Oh, that was terrible. Mana. 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 Aki. 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 Kinga. 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 Tangata. Tangata. Mana meaning Power. Aki meaning to give, or aki aki to give and to share, and kinga is to, and tangata is to the people. I had a aha moment a few years ago when um, I was sitting in my old job, but I shouldn't, because this is recorded. Eh? <laughs> so um, we were sitting in our office, and we were told that we we're going to participate in some cultural competency workshops. Cringe. <laughs> and um, someone tried to explain to us Manakitanga and the meaning that we were taught and that they wanted us to, I guess, acquire that knowledge and, and practice it was Manakitanga means to provide tea and coffee. It's like cringe. And I went home to my whānau and I said to my, one of my kaumātua, I was like, What does Manakitanga mean? And the shift of the conversation, what we've all just said today, to hand over your mana. So let's say, Chloe, you're feeling do- down and out, and I'm like over the moon excited. If I see that you're feeling low, I would turn my mana down a little, mm. because it's quite confronting and mm. would be quite intimidating. It would make you go quieter. Mm. So I would take some of my moody and my life force and give it to you so that we are both like, chill, māmā manuiho. And my aha moment was remembering the value of the, reo, of the language, the language of this land, that if we were to slow down a bit in this life that we have, of all being crazy and busy, and we actually broke down our language and paid attention, but being able to give mana, whatever you have in your fridge or whatever kai you have, um, every time we go shopping at Countdown, the homies, Shane, I always buy him the same dinner I'm going to buy. Mm. I'll give him the same amount. I'll just buy extra. Um, someone of my rangata, he said to me, why do you do that? And I was like, manaakitanga. It's not just to give someone a koha. It's to ensure that when they're participating in, in something, that they feel just as great as you do. Mm. So today I that was just my aha moment was to share something that I learned mm. from in my world that Manakitanga, you know this now, so you have to go home and practice it and tell all your friends of I <laughs> But that's my aha moment is remembering to slow down enough and pay attention to people's energy yeah. and their wairua and ensure that they are just on the same level as you, not higher or lower, mm. but I think that then starts to speak to the, the issues that we're facing in this ecology of our food systems. Yeah. If we're all slowing down and participating and paying attention, where does this banana come from? Um, we can actually start to make some better choices. to go. I'm going to go to Down Dark Side and go and grab some bananas from those trees and I might swap with them instead of buying from the shop. So there's ways, if we're slowing down enough, we should be able to understand who's providing what. Mm. And to me, that also means pulling the ego to the side mm. and saying, I can do that, but they do it better than me. I'm just going to not do that and stay in my lane. Mm and give them that mana to do what they are great at doing because mm. that's my, my understanding of my place and my position to mana and uplift them. Mm. So, yeah, that's just a little koha. I'll invoice you later. <laughs>
4: <laughs> yeah, I think a real aha moment for me has been the power each of us have as individuals to change the food system. Like, we get to vote every single time we buy something or we give something or we donate to something um, and how we do that is really critical. Um, there's a really cool uh, YouTube um, video I watched recently. Send it to Tara. She'd already watched it. Took the glean off of that, my excitement. But um, it's about when they reintroduce wolves to Yellowstone Park. So they have been gone for 70 years and they have reintroduced them and what that did... And so you know, it talks to systems change. But you know, I think in the system of food, the systems change is about personal power. Like we are, um, one in every four people in New Zealand working work for a food-based company. Um, You know, we need to have the power to make sure we raise those wages so that everyone can afford to eat well. We need to make sure we talk to those our industry. um, To you know, but. We also can vote every single time we buy something um, or we talk about something to have um, a better food system because if we only uh, engage in it in a way that we feel is values aligned for people and planet, we'll change it. It may be that long-term view, um, but we'll get there.
1: Mm -hmm. Yeah, Beautiful.
0: to all the panellists for their generous sharing and for agreeing to be recorded enabling this podcast. The full panel discussion was recorded and is available to researchers through Auckland Libraries Heritage Collections. See reference and details in the podcast brief. Like or subscribe to hear more heritage and literary podcasts from Ngā Pataka Kōrero Tāmaki Makaurau, Auckland Libraries Connected Communities.